0: Happy Father's Day. Today's the day we come and, of course, celebrate fathers, and we celebrate it in lots of different ways. You know, it's a blessing when you have a father that leads his family in the Lord and disciples you in the Lord, and it's just a day of celebration, a day of just thankfulness. Some of us, um, maybe our father passed away at a young age, and for us, today's a memory of uh, my father's not passed away, but for us, I'm putting myself with y'all, you know, today's kind of a day of mourning, you know, and um, a day of, of, of celebration, but also a sad day. Some maybe have not very close to your father for one, whatever, your earthly father, for whatever reason, but today it's fitting that we come to this passage in Galatians chapter 4, because in Christ, we have a perfect heavenly father doesn't matter if we had a good earthly father, a bad earthly father, or he wasn't in the picture or whatever, in Christ we have a father, and that father is perfect, and he is good, and he gives us all good and perfect gifts. In this text, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul shows us that believers in Christ are children of God, children of Abraham, in the covenant of Abraham, through faith in Christ and therefore, we are adopted, as we said last week in Galatians 4, adopted into the family of God. Yes, in the gospel today, we can both give thanks for our earthly father and give thanks for our good and heavenly father. So right now, this text in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through the first verse in chapter 5 It is very, very dense. You're going to have to put your thinking cap on. You're going to have to be active listeners. You need to get your own Bible out. Don't trust the screen. Uh, You need to be following along. Maybe you need to get some coffee. There's some back there. It's a very dense passage. There's going to be a lot of Old Testament allusions, a lot to explain. So I'm going to go as slowly as I can to get done in half an hour. But just know we're going to follow along together. And this is, of course, being recorded. It'll be on the website. You can go listen to it again. Just for some quick context, because we go straight through books of the Bible. And this is uh, the passage that we've come to today because we've been through all the ones before this. There is a battle raging in the Galatian churches right now. It's the most important battle ever fought. It's a battle for the souls of the Galatians. In one corner, you have the Apostle Paul. Through chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Galatians, Paul has been arguing that by grace through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, all people, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, doesn't matter who you are, you become a true child of Abraham in covenant with God, saved, adopted, redeemed, in perfect relationship with a holy God. In chapter 3, verse 29, Paul said, If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, heir to the covenant promise. He gave his life on the cross to pay for sin. He rose from the grave to give you life. And by faith alone, we are united to him and heirs of the covenant, adopted by God. Paul's in one corner of this battle. In the other corner are these Jewish teachers that have come into Galatia. We've called them Judaizers. They believed Jesus is the Messiah. They taught the Galatians, yes, you must trust in Jesus who is the Messiah. But they said faith alone is not enough to save you. You must also be circumcised according to the covenant God made with Abraham. You must follow the law of Moses to be God's children as we are, they would say, Abraham's children. They probably came in and said, that's what the Bible says. Genesis 17, 9 through 14, God tells Abraham, every male among you, whether born in your house or bought with your money or a foreigner comes into your house, every male must be circumcised or they have broken the covenant and they are cut off from their people. They may have quoted that verse. So what do we do with that? It says that in Genesis 17. God tells that to Abraham. Do we just throw that away? Do parts of God's word don't mean anything anymore? Today, in this text, Paul is going to show from Abraham's own family in Genesis, the history of Abraham's sons, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant, God's promise to Abraham, and the gospel was God's purpose from the very beginning, even in the Abrahamic covenant. Y'all with me? So far, so good? All right, let's read these passages. Starting in verse 21 of chapter 4, Paul says to them, "'Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons,' That's a thick passage, isn't it? It's a lot of stuff going on in there. We're gonna take it apart piece by piece. There's a lot of Old Testament allusions in there. Very, very, very dense. But Paul starts this passage by summarizing the account of the sons of Abraham. So before we look at that, let's pray and ask God to prepare our hearts for his word. Father, we do love you and God, we come to this passage and there's just a lot going on in here. So God, I pray that you would give that you would give me clarity, the, the ability to speak clearly and to give your message. I pray that you would superintend everything that goes on here today, that you would open our hearts and that you would tell us what this passage is saying to us today. Father, we want to be right about what this passage says, but we also want to be clear. So God, we pray for your help today and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing he does, chapter in verse 21, is he starts off by summarizing the account of Abraham's two sons. He says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, Do you not listen to the law? For it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So first, before we look at this, let's remind ourselves of the story of Abraham's family and these two sons in Genesis. God promised Abraham a son. Remember in Genesis Even though Abraham was old, way past the years to be able to have a son, and Sarah, who was also old, was barren anyway. And God promised Abraham he would have a son, he would be an heir, he would be the child of promise. But many years after God made that promise, Sarah was still barren. She still had not conceived, and now they're getting way too old to have a son. So in Genesis 16, To help God's promise come to pass, Sarah convinced Abraham to father a child with her female slave, Hagar, and he did. They named the son Ishmael. In verse 23, Paul says, Ishmael, the son of the slave woman, Hagar, was born according to the flesh. Now some of your translations in front of you may say he was born in a natural way or he's born according to normal processes. That is not what Paul means. Hagar's son was born according to the flesh because instead of trusting the promise of God, Abraham and Sarah tried to fulfill God's promise by their own works, by their own effort, by working out this scheme to have a son before God had deemed it time. In their minds, in, in Sarah's mind specifically, time was running out and God made the promise and he hadn't given us a son yet. We have to do something in order to bring this promise to pass. They tried to take matters into their own hands and help the promise along by this scheme to have a son with Hagar. But God didn't need their help. He didn't need them to add their work or their scheme or their effort to fulfill the promise that God had made. Eventually, God did provide a son of promise to Sarah. Sarah did conceive, though she was barren, though she was old, God fulfilled his promise and Isaac was born, the son of Sarah, the son of the free woman, as Paul puts it here in verse 23. Isaac was born through promise, not through the scheme of Abraham and Sarah, not through the works of Abraham and Sarah, Paul is going to show that these two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, the son of the slave woman, the son of the free woman, these two sons represent two ways to seek after the promise of God, to obtain the promise of God. One is by adding human effort, adding human works, adding the scheme of Abraham and Sarah to help God along, and the other is by faith in the promise of God. That is the subject of what we've talked about all through the book of Galatians now that we're reminded of the story of Abraham's two sons, or these two sons of Abraham, let's see how Paul applies this to the Galatian Christians. He says in verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children, literally, it says, into slavery. She is Hagar, Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she, not Hagar, Jerusalem, is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she, the Jerusalem above, is our mother. Okay, Abraham's two sons, Paul says, are going to be an illustration of how God works. First, he says, the two women illustrate the two covenants. Hagar represents the covenant at Mount Sinai, the law, the giving of the law. And he says, and she can only bear children into slavery. So after Ishmael was born, in Genesis 17, Abraham begged God to make Ishmael the heir, the son of promise. He said, Oh, that Ishmael would walk before you, that live before you. And God refused. God would not allow his promise to be fulfilled through the effort and the scheme of Abraham and Sarah. Ishmael could never be the heir of God. Ishmael was blessed. God blessed him to be a mighty nation and a lot of different things because he is Abraham's son. But he would not be the heir. He would not be the child of promise. He would not be in the covenant line. That is why Hagar is an illustration of the covenant of law given at Mount Sinai, because in the same way, the law, Mosaic law given at Mount Sinai required, as we've seen many times, the people to keep God's law perfectly. If you want to be in covenant with God, you've got to keep the law absolutely 100% perfectly. And as we've seen in our own lives and in the scripture, that's impossible for fallen people. So just as Abraham and Sarah's works couldn't fulfill the covenant promise, in the same way, Israel's works of the law couldn't fulfill the covenant promise before God either and make them right before God. Are you with me? I'm losing you. I can feel it. So just as Abraham working through Hagar could never fulfill God's covenant and bring forth the son of promise... In the same way, seeking righteousness and salvation through Mount Sinai, through the law of Moses, that can't produce God's promise. It can only produce slaves. Paul has talked about free and slave all through Galatians 3 and 4. Enslaved to the law, trying to find righteousness in the law, enslaves you to a master that will never be satisfied because you cannot keep it in your own work, in your own efforts. And you can never escape from it. Paul shows that even in Abraham's family, even among Abraham's sons, works cannot produce anything but slaves. It cannot produce children of God. And then Paul drops this bomb on the Judaizers, the Jewish teachers there in Galatia. In verse 25 He says, Hagar corresponds or stands in the same line with the present Jerusalem. Paul says, the present Jerusalem are those who seek to be justified before God by keeping works of the law. Now, when Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, not everybody in Jerusalem was an unbeliever. There were Christians there too. There was a church there too. But for the most part, the city had rejected Christ in order to cling to the law of Moses. Paul says the earthly Jerusalem is enslaved. She, the Jerusalem, is in slavery with her children. Why? Because she's trying to help God fulfill the promise, just like Abraham and Sarah were doing with Hagar, trying to help God fulfill his promise by works of the law. And then in verse 26, 26 he says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Paul says there's another Jerusalem, Another city of God, one that's above, a heavenly Jerusalem, and that Jerusalem is free, and she is our mother, meaning those in Christ. Now one day we know that that heavenly Jerusalem will descend to earth in the last day, but but it exists right now. And those who have come to God through faith in Jesus Christ are those who are born from above, born of that city. Christ makes us citizens of the new Jerusalem. We've been adopted as heirs of Abraham, heirs to the covenant of God. Our inheritance is given by promise through Christ alone, faith in his blood. And that's what the prophets foretold all through the scripture. He... He shows them next that this is always been the point of the scripture. This is my favorite part. So y'all please try to act excited. <laughs> he quotes Isaiah 54 one to show this. He says, verse 27, he just said, president Jerusalem is enslaved with the children Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. And then he says, For, because it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. That is Isaiah 54, 1. The barren woman in Isaiah 54, 1 is not Sarah. It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Isaiah 54 was written to encourage the Jewish exiles in Babylon. Just like Sarah, Jerusalem was barren because they were in exile. They had been exiled to Babylon. And just like Sarah, the promise of God seemed like it was impossible. It can't happen. Time's running out. We're stuck way over here. It's desolate. The city's desolate. Where is God's promise? God would fulfill his word Isaiah says, to bring Jerusalem from barrenness to fruitfulness, from despair to joy, from desolation to blessing. But here's the question. How would he do that? How does quoting Isaiah 54.1 improve Paul's case? Paul expects his readers to know the context of Isaiah 54.1. Do you know What comes right before Isaiah 53-1? I mean, Isaiah 54-1? Isaiah 53. That's exactly right. Do you know what's in Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53 is all about the suffering servant. The Messiah who would come. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But he carried our sorrows. He he paid for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of him brought us peace and by his wounds, we're healed. Paul quotes Isaiah 54, 1 to say, Jesus is the Messiah that has done this. Let me read to you Isaiah 53, 10 through Isaiah 54, 1, which is the verse Paul quotes. It says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Talking about the suffering servant, Jesus, the Messiah. He has put him to grief. How? At the cross. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. The cross. He says when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Look at this. He shall see his offspring, his children, his seed. He shall prolong his days The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, look. Make many, Jew and Gentile, to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, the cross, and was numbered with the transgressors at the cross. Yet he bore the sin of many at the cross, and he makes intercession for The transgressors. And then the very next verse is sing, O barren one who did not bear. Why didn't you bear? Because he bore. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married or her who has a husband, says the Lord. Do you see what Paul is saying? Why are we to sing? Why are we to rejoice? Why will the children of the desolate one be more than the children of the one that has a husband? It's by the cross. He shall see his children, his offspring, when he makes an offering for sin. Paul quotes 54, 1, Isaiah 54.1 to say, Jesus is the Messiah, the suffering servant who bore our transgressions on the cross. And by his sacrifice, he has produced many offsprings for Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Paul is saying to these, these Jewish teachers in Galatia, and to the Galatians themselves, you're missing the point of the whole scripture. It's about Jesus. Having made this clear now, having made his case in chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul can say now in verse 28. Now, because of all I've said, because of this big elaborate argument that I've given you, now you, brothers, you Galatian Gentile Christians, like Isaac, are children of promise. Those in Jesus Christ are from the line of Isaac, the promised seed. Every believer, says, just like Isaac, is supernaturally and miraculously born of God's promise, not of works, not of efforts, not of schemes like Ishmael was born through Abraham and Sarah's scheme. Here he tells the Gentile Galatians, they're like Isaac because they too have been born of Abraham as a result of a promise and not through their human lineage or through their works. Verse 28 is the conclusion, really, to Paul's whole argument in chapter 3 and chapter 4. The Judaizers say, no, to be in Abraham's covenant, to be right with God and in covenant with God, you have to be circumcised. You have to be living after the law of Moses. You have to be living as God's people have always lived. Paul says, no, you are already part of Abraham's covenant because in Jesus you are born into the promise of God. By faith you are born again in Christ, born from above, a citizen of the new Jerusalem. That means that Jesus' righteousness is your righteousness. His law-keeping is your law-keeping. And yes, his circumcision is your circumcision. A real Jewish son of Abraham brought you into himself so that you would be a real son of Abraham. And he has done what no one could have done in the Old Testament. What they longed for, what God told them had to happen, but no one could accomplish it. Jesus has done it. He has circumcised your heart by faith. Paul is saying to them, you guys are missing the point of the law. You're missing the point of all the scriptures about Abraham. Verse 21 told us, you want to be under the law? Do you not listen to the law? The whole point and purpose is Jesus. Believer, you are the heir of promise in Christ because he is the heir of promise, just as Isaac. And now that you know that, now that the case has been made, the question is asked, so what do we do? What should we do? Am I running over time? Oh, no, I'm good. (laughs) He applies this to the Galatians, and he applies it to us as well. What do we do? The conclusion of his argument. We already read 28. He says, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's the conclusion of his argument. Then he tells us in verse 29, but just as at that time, the time of Ishmael and Isaac, He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. In Genesis 21, after Isaac was born, Ishmael mocked him and mistreated him. And Paul says, just as Isaac was persecuted, that's the word he uses, by Ishmael, the children of promise today, those in Christ, will always be persecuted by those who are born of the flesh. Now, now we understand from lots of different places in the New Testament, we understand the Christians will always be persecuted by the world. But make sure that you see what Paul is saying in the context of this passage. He's telling the Galatians that the Judaizers are persecuting them. He's saying these people who are refuting the gospel, rejecting the gospel and teaching you to add law to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ... They're persecuting you. They're harming you. This is what the whole letter of Galatians is about. Those who think that their works or their goodness or their righteousness or their religious stuff make them right with God or more right with God or adding to the gospel, they hate the gospel of grace because the gospel of grace tells us God finds nothing good in us at all. There's nothing that we have to boast about. Nothing that you're able to earn by your works. In fact, the Bible says that our works are filthy rags before God. We must receive all by grace through faith alone, for we have no goodness to offer. People take great offense at that message. And by corrupting that message, by adding works and efforts and law and religion and all the things that we add or that people add, Paul says they're trying to enslave you. They're harming you. They're trying to persecute you just like Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Paul's message to the Galatians is don't go back to slavery. Don't follow those leading you away from the gospel. But here's another application. Paul has also shown us over the course of studying Galatians sometimes even we Christians can fall into thinking that our works somehow make us better before God or more acceptable before God. Or if we fail to do something exactly the right way, then we've somehow lost our standing with God through the gospel. We have a tendency to walk out of step with the gospel as Peter was doing in Galatians chapter 2. We, we will certainly, by our, our words and our minds, we affirm that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. But sometimes we take pride in our Christian works and our accomplishments, setting ourselves above others who don't do as much as we do. Sometimes when we fail to do what we ought to, We fall into pits of despair thinking, well, that's it, God doesn't love me, God's rejected me, and we deny the gospel is enough because we failed in some capacity in our works and our efforts. We have a tendency to fall into this thinking as well. We say salvation is by grace for sure, but in our hearts we say, but yeah, I can improve my standing though if I do real good. So whether we're talking about others adding to the gospel and trying to lead us astray or we're talking about our own hearts what do we do? Paul tells us verse 30 and 31 what does the scripture say? cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. What do we do? We cut off the children of the flesh this verse here is is the punchline really of the whole illustration about Hagar and Sarah He's quoting Genesis 21.10. When Ishmael mistreated Isaac, Sarah told Abraham to cast out Ishmael and Hagar because the son of the slave woman would not be the heir. And we hear that and we think, man, Sarah's just mean. But God told Abraham, yeah, do what Sarah said. You see what Paul's saying here? He's telling the Galatians... Listen, you can't permit these people to stay in the churches among you. You can't permit them to continue corrupting the gospel, adding to the gospel, leading you astray. You are to cast them out, just as God told Abraham through Sarah to cast out the children of the flesh. They have no place in the church. They're not to be tolerated, Paul is saying. Listen, church discipline is something not very popular these days but it is biblical, it is necessary. There are times through unrepentant sin or false teaching that the church is called to remove members so that the consequences of sin would weigh on their conscience and hopefully the goal is that they would repent and be reconciled to the body. But casting out the children of the flesh is also something we have to do in our own hearts, in our own thinking, in our own lives. Cast out all thought that any goodness of mine or any work of mine or any efforts of mine can add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus alone is sufficient. He is enough. The gospel is enough to make me right, perfect, holy, and blameless before God. There's nothing I can add to it, nothing I can take away from it. Church, this is important. Your soul is at stake. Your Christian life is at stake. This, not holding to the gospel, this is why so many Christians can't find joy and peace, the peace of walking in Christ. They either turn into a legalistic Pharisee that turns into a bitter old person, or they turn into someone who just fakes it, pretending to have joy that everybody else they see around them has, but they can't find it anywhere. You've forgotten your first love, the gospel of Jesus Christ, John Stott said it this way, when we find ourselves joyless and habitual in our Christian life, it is likely that we want God to bless our Ishmael, that we contributed along with the Isaac whom God alone has given. We find no freedom in that because freedom is joyfully serving God's purpose in our lives. But slavery is slavery to whatever we think we have to do in order to extend God's blessing and favor. We can do nothing more than God has done. Ishmael has no place in God's work and blessing and promise to us because he hinders the gospel of God's grace in our lives. He makes us focus on what we do rather than on what God does and wants to do. We must cast out clinging to our own efforts, our own works, our own goodness, our own religious, our own rights, our own practices, our own ceremonies, our own whatever. Whatever. We can no more add to God's promise than Abraham and Sarah could by working this scheme to get Ishmael. Paul ends this section with this conclusion, verse 31. Those who are of faith are children, not of the slave, but of the free woman. Those who are of faith are the true heirs. Be Jew or Gentile, slave, free, doesn't matter. Jesus has made one people in himself. In chapter three and four of Galatians, Paul has answered the question, who are the true members of Abraham's family? They are those who seek no righteousness other than Jesus Christ and the gospel. Those who trust in him alone for salvation. And so in chapter five, verse one, we're just gonna hit it and we'll talk again about it next week. Paul pleads with them, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He's telling them, trust in the gospel alone. Don't let... Anyone try to add works to the gospel. Don't let your own heart try to add your own efforts, your own stuff to the gospel. Jesus is sufficient. He has made you free. Don't go back into the slavery of anything else. To add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace alone through faith alone is to go back into slavery. To think works of the law can add anything to our standing before God is to be enslaved to a master who will never be satisfied and from whom you will never escape because we are sinners. Only Jesus has given us freedom. To go back is like going back to Mount Sinai when the promised land's in sight. Let us trust in Jesus alone. Glory in Jesus alone. Depend wholly on Jesus alone and nothing else. And when those thoughts of our heart, when those voices from outside or inside say, yeah, but cast them out. He is sufficient. And in him, we are complete. Trust in Christ. Walk in Christ. He has given us everything in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you would use it in our hearts, that we would walk faithfully after you as we trust wholly and completely and only in you. Help us to remember constantly that what we do or don't do, what we can do or can't do has no bearing on our standing with you. Yes, there is evidence of salvation that you uh, provide as you change our hearts and we walk according to the Spirit, fulfilling the laws, the Spirit guides. But God, that doesn't add not one thing to the gospel salvation that you have given us. Help us to trust in you, to trust in you alone. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would move in their hearts. I pray that you would show them the cross, show them the futility of, of, of trying to do better, be better, change our behavior, turn over a new leaf. We can't please you. We can't. So God, I pray that you would show them the cross, that he bore our transgressions, that he took our iniquity. And Father, I pray that you would lead them to call out upon you for salvation, entrusting their lives to you, Trusting with all that we are, Jesus died for me. God, I pray that you would save souls, that you would grow us to walk in your gospel. And that you would reveal to us more and more the depth and the beauty of what you have done and who you are. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here at the front. If you want to come, I would love for you to come. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to share the gospel more with you. Give your heart and life to Christ and trust in him. Will you stand with me?